Before we get into today's episode, I need to make an apology. Over the past couple of weeks, Roleplay Rescue has moved host from Anchor over to Acast. And whilst this should have been a simple matter in which the change was so smooth, listeners may not even have noticed, the reality has been very far from smooth. The consequences of a simple typo have left several platforms not updating properly, and we even had to change the entire Apple Podcast link for the show. This should not have happened, and I am deeply sorry that it has. Thank you for seeking out the new RSS feed link and for persevering. I need to do better in the future. Thank you. What if you could always sit down on a regular basis and actively prep for your next game in a way that left you feeling confident and positive? What if you could work in such a way as to unlock your maximum creativity while preserving your energy and motivation for the long haul. We all know how exciting it can feel to set up a brand new role-playing game campaign. You are pumped with the vision, buoyed by the positivity of the players and raring to go. And you might even get a strong start out of the gate, but human motivation being fickle as it is, you also know the reality of what happens when the initial high-energy positivity wanes and you have to commit to preparing your game for the longer haul. I don't think it's any surprise that most gamers nowadays flip from system to system, game world to game world, playing one-shots and short campaigns. Human motivation being what it is, we always lose the buzz and it feels so much easier to bail on the game that has lost its shine and simply start a new one. But what if you could sustain the creative effort in the long run? Would you want to find out how to do it? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Today, I want to share my story about beginning to make my prep doable for the long haul. Che's gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice Hi, thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode. Last time, I mentioned that one of the biggest recurring problems I face as a GM is the tendency to procrastinate my prep. It's always been something I struggle with. In recent weeks, I've been working to combat it and find better ways to prep my games. Prep is complicated. There are a lot of moving parts, lots of things to think about, and I generally find it overwhelming. Because prep is too hard. So I procrastinate. But why not just give up GMing altogether? I mean, if prep is a big old pile of hassle that often feels like work, then why not find a different hobby? My answer is that I love the act of running a game for interested players. I love that more than I enjoy playing in other people's games. And, you know, this is Roleplay Rescue, not Roleplay Ribbon. Coming back to the purpose of my podcast, helping people to get back to the table, it's worth reiterating that tabletop role-playing games are about three big things for me. 
One, spending time with people I enjoy being engaged with creatively. Two, immersing myself into a deeply grounded and evocative fantastic world. Three, exploring that world through the senses of well-crafted, likeable and believable characters. The gap between my aspirations as a gamer and the behaviours at my gaming table has been, well, pretty big. In this episode, I want to share some of the steps I've been experimenting with to help me close that gap and realise my aspirations. So we begin with this. You can't trust motivation. You need to focus on your behaviours and you need to downsize your actions. One of the most curious aspects of my personality is the dramatic impact of a particularly good or bad experience on my motivation. If a specific instance of experience is perceived to be positive, then I will feel more motivated to repeat a similar experience. The converse is also true. The thing about motivation is that, well, it's fickle. In his excellent book, Tiny Habits, B.J. Fogg argues that reliance on our level of motivation is a particularly unwise choice because there is a natural undulation in motivation that's dependent on, well, too many other factors. His solution is to build tiny habits that are linked to already existing habits, leveraging the brain's capacity to learn. So when I faced the responsibility of returning to the Mr. Mere gaming table after a particularly bad session two weeks before, it was the habit of getting online on the bi-weekly Monday night, combined with deciding to just achieve one small thing that allowed me to overcome my extremely low motivation. But here's the thing, the session was a good one. Waking up the morning after a good session, I'm filled with enthusiasm and energy to create for the next session. Positivity flows. I feel like, of course I can continue to run the game. How could I not with such a great session last time? The fallacy is that between this last session and the next one, there will be hundreds, if not thousands or even millions of tiny pressures downward on my motivation. I will get worn down at work. There will be setbacks in my life of all different shapes and forms and I will get tired. I will miss some night's sleep and so on. I cannot solely rely on a good session to propel me forward to the next one. While that one experience certainly helps to confirm my intention to run session 20 after such a good session 19, the reality is that I cannot rely on my motivation. Back to Tiny Habits. The Fogg behaviour model predicts that if the task feels too hard, then you won't do it. When we are highly motivated, we can do things that feel harder, but when motivation dips, which it inevitably will, then only the easiest stuff remains doable. Quote, The Fogg behaviour model shows that three elements must converge at the same moment for a behaviour to occur. Motivation, ability and a prompt. When a behaviour does not occur, at least one of those three elements is missing. Now, I can't really explain the behaviour model easily on a podcast, but there is a really simple diagram published online that sums it up simply. Go to behaviourmodel.org to look at the diagram. I'll stick a link in the show notes. And failing that, buy a copy of BJ Fogg's Tiny Habits. I highly recommend it. Everybody is different and what works for me is not guaranteed to work for you. 
That said, I believe that sharing my experiments could prove helpful to others, so here goes. There are two sets of behaviours that we need to focus on when we decide to run a role-playing game as the Game Master. The first set are the one-time set-up behaviours that will allow us to begin to play and give us the framework to sustain play long-term. The second set are the recurring behaviours that need to be repeated each time you prepare for a session. A quick aside, the behaviours at work for you will be things that you both want to do already and which you feel capable of doing. If you want help with figuring those out, read Tiny Habits and no, I am not getting a kickback or royalty for mentioning Fogg's book. This is a genuine recommendation. I think I may have identified what Fogg calls the golden behaviours which would unlock my prep and give me the greatest positive impact while still being things I can actually see myself doing. Before starting a new campaign, do these one time. Choose the players. Yes, I mean, simply invite those you enjoy gaming with. Organise a conversation with the players about the world for your game. Choose the system of rules for this particular game. And, by the way, that's my choice, not the player's choice. Co-create characters with the players, one by one. Make sure that, as a GM, you have the completed character sheet and then write an adventure skeleton, and then find or draw, and then key a world map. This one is going to scaffold future session prep. My recurring behaviours are review the characters, look at the current player's goals for their characters, create obstacles to those player goals, create secrets for the players to discover, provide three clues per secret, Link adventures to the character's backstory, for example, using NPCs they already know, preferably from when they created their character. Plan adventures with a node-based structure, adding new nodes if needed. Decide which of the four key game structures are in play in this session. Grab stats for NPC combatants, and then grab maps for locations, although you'll only need them when you deploy the location crawl game structure. And then for Mr. and other online games, I've realised that I need to do the following. Grab digital battle maps for combat scenes, input necessary data, images, tokens, or whatever else to the VTT. And the one I'm currently using in experimenting with is Foundry. And then build necessary encounters within the VTT. This usually involves putting tokens on maps and placing key objects and setting up lighting effects and similar numerous fiddly tasks. Now then, when I sat down to design my prep behaviours, I thought of dozens of other things I could do, but many of them didn't provide enough impact in return for the effort invested, and many of them were just simply not things I could genuinely see myself doing. For example, when I have buckets of time and mental energy, say on a quiet weekend when my family isn't wanting a lot of my attention, I could see myself making cool dungeon maps or VTT battle maps of the dungeons, but most of the time, I don't have the bandwidth for that. Doing a web search for a good enough map is the better option for me. Given a choice, I would not use digital battle maps that players can see, but it depends on the playstyle of the group. My aspiration is to be a flexible, multi-skilled GM, so this adds to prep for those groups. Like, for say, my Mr. Mere bunch, I believe we GM for others as much as we do for ourselves, and so that's okay by me. But I digress. There is still a large barrier to overcome. 
all of those behaviours feel too hard to do just as they sit there staring at me on a list. To explain it a little bit more scientifically, I realise that my biggest barriers are two key breaks in what BJ Fogg calls the ability chain, a lack of time and the large mental effort PrEP currently demands. The solution, of course, is to make my PrEP behaviours radically smaller. Smaller and simpler actions are more likely to get done because they require far less motivation. You can train yourself to do them as habits. Let's talk about the two one-time actions that I realise I need to sustain a game longer term. Write an adventure skeleton and find or draw and key a world map. Both of these help me to feel that my game is coherent and flexible enough for the long haul. Coherent means that it feels like it holds together, like I can begin to believe in the world and see it develop and grow over time. Flexible in that nothing is fixed until it shows up at the table described in play, but that there are enough points of light to focus my session-to-session prep on something solid. The Adventure Skeleton is terminology from Brian Jameson's Game Mastering, but I recommend combining it with the Angry GM's advice from his many rambling but genius blog posts on adventure and campaign design. In short, begin with the end in mind, to steal Stephen Covey's phrase, and ask yourself... What's the last scene of the adventure? The climactic situation. Sketch that out. Picture the scene. Where is it set? Who is there? What are the three most likely ways this will play out? Here's one example. You want to run an adventure or campaign based around a confrontation with a dragon. For me, the end scene is dealing with the dragon. The dramatic question, will the heroes defeat the dragon? How might this end? Well, maybe there's a big fight, pretty likely, given my players, but not the only ending possible. What if they negotiate with the dragon? I need to figure out what it wants and what the dragon might have to bargain with. But what if they can find a way to entrap the dragon? That sounds fun, so I might note down some ideas on how to construct a magical entrapment of some kind. My point is this. Once you know how the adventure will end, you already have a load of cool secrets, places and NPCs to work with. Angry goes one step further. When discussing campaign design, he suggests noting down some key points between the starting point and the end point, what we might term key nodes in the adventure. To do this, I decide the starting point and then try to come up with a half dozen interesting places or people that could become stepping stones between the beginning and the end of the adventure. Doing this gives me some solid steps to aim for. Session 1 introduces the characters and the final goal. I then point towards the first stepping stone, where the first set of clues might be found. And from there, I'm able to shift into the first iteration of the recurring prep behaviours. Look at the current player's goals for their characters. That'll be the mission. Create obstacles to the player's goals. Create secrets for the players to discover. Provide three clues per secret. Link the adventure back to the character's backstory, perhaps using NPCs that they already know. I hope that you can see the general methodology here. Design a goal for the player characters and then sketch out the final scene of the adventure. Design the player character's starting point. 
create at least six stepping stone points. These can be key locations or key NPCs to interact with, but put them between the start and the end of the adventure, and then begin to design the first session using your standard prep. The other structure I feel helps me keep things coherent and flexible for the long haul is to find or draw and then key a world map. And this doesn't have to be a huge map. In fact, for a new world, it can be as simple as three locations on a hand-drawn piece of paper. But the map is ever-extensible, and it helps me visualise the world. Mistamir started with a village, a nearby forgotten tomb, and a ruined castle. The castle was from the classic Beckme Red Box, Castle Mistamir. It's also gave me the name for the setting. The village was Woodfell. For this I grabbed a village map from a free Han fan site, I think. And the tomb was the Lost Tomb of the Dragon Knights, which I designed based on the excellent video by Matt Colville, which you can find on his YouTube channel. From there, I added stuff in between sessions whenever I had the time and mental energy, such as when I had a weekend off or, more commonly, during school holidays. But the biggest mistake I keep repeating is to misplace the map and stop using it. No, find or draw a map. Keep it front and centre in your prep kit. Update it and add to it as you go. I find this helps me to be consistent with details. Villages have fixed distances in miles because I have a map. Places have names and new locations can be placed on the map with ease. And no, the players don't need to see the map. I find the easiest way to make a map is to draw it by hand. Digital maps are lovely, but they take too much time and effort for me to be able to consistently use them. But as with all things, if you have the skills and inclination, well, go for it. Just for goodness sake, consider making a map before you start play. So that's my outline for how to make prep easier. I don't have time in a single podcast episode to take you through the whole of the process, but I do hope that this outline serves as inspiration for working out your own prep process. Of course, as ever, if you've got questions, please call them in via SpeakPipe. The key is to focus on the actual behaviours you want to develop. Break it down. Break it down even smaller. My list is the basis, but each individual behaviour breaks into smaller, definable actions. This clarity helps to make you believe that you can do each of the tiny steps in the larger tapestry of your prep. And I hope that this helps you to find a pathway to more consistent prep. I'll keep you updated with my progress as I refine that process. For now, thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Hey Shay, it's Matt. Finally got over my cold feet about calling in. Just finished listening to episode uh, 1014, going over the edge for the second time, actually. Oh man, what a fantastic episode. I feel like you articulated so many of the things and random thoughts that have kind of been going through my brain over the last few weeks or months. I just really love you know, kind of the idea of revisiting the, you know, the basic GURPS resolution, which I is, you know, so dear near and dear to my heart, um, kind of making it a little bit more streamlined or tailored to some of the maybe play styles that I'm doing now. Love kind of combining that with life path character creation systems that have meaningful choices built into them, just having a whole set of tools and resources to kind of make things readily available, you know, for prep and at the table. And so it's some things I've been thinking of and working on, and so to hear that you're doing this is 
you know, awesome. So you're definitely not alone in what you're thinking about. I think you're really on to something rich here. Um, and I look forward to hearing more about it when you're ready to share. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Matt. It's great to hear from you. Thanks for being a first-time caller and zipping one in. And thanks so much for your comments. It is very encouraging when other people seem interested in what I'm doing. And I'm sure that this is a sort of feedback loop. You know, you hear me talk about it, you get excited, you call in, it excites me. And so, yeah, I'm way dealing with those things, developing those things, coming up with ideas for myself. I'm hoping that as time goes on, I'll be able to share some of my ideas i guess in first draft with patrons and then maybe eventually you know in some kind of coherent fashion that isn't just a podcast but anyway thank you for calling i really appreciate it and um yeah thanks for calling hey Kay, jason here just want to say really enjoyed roleplay rescue 1015 great episode really you know is catered towards my needs because i have anxiety as a game master before a session and Sometimes, well, not sometimes, I am a procrastinator, so very exciting. Looking forward to the follow-up episode to it, and I hope everything's going well. I know, you, you know, things can be rocky, but hang in there. We're here for you, and you know, I hope to talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, Jason. Really appreciate another call-in. You can always rely on Jason Connolly to call in from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, right? But what I love is that Jason calls in and is encouraging every time. So, Jason, I'm hoping this being a bit of a follow-up to the last episode is kind of what you were looking for. And, of course, if you've got questions or other specific comments or whatever, please dial in again. And that goes for the rest of you, too. If you're listening to this and you've got questions about what I've been talking about over the last episode or two, please give us a call. Speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash roleplay rescue. Game on. And that's it for this week. Big thank you once again for showing up and listening. Roleplay Rescue is supported and funded by the generous contributions of patrons and I want to thank every single one of them. Your generosity keeps me going. Thank you. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can join the Patreon for $1 at patreon.com slash rpgrescue. All the contact details for the podcast are in the show notes. Finally, I'd like to say another big thank you to John from Tale of the Manticore for the theme music. And that, as they say, is a wrap. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.